Well, good morning. I appreciate you joining us. Um, if this is your first time or one of your first times, thanks for stepping into a new place. Sometimes that's, I know that's not the easiest thing to do. If you're joining us online, uh, we are grateful. There's the camera. We're grateful for you joining us online. So I have known several people, perhaps like you have, that have gone through knee replacement surgery, and they did it because their knee really hurt, and they, 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 had, they were bone on bone. But you get done with that surgery, and there's a a good bit of physical therapy that needs to be done to restore range of motion. People come out and it's, it's like this and it's arduous. They want full range of motion. But isn't that a picture of how we want to live life? Full range of motion? N- none of us want to be limited here, do we? No, no we want to. Well, where do we find that full freedom? that's exemplified in that range of motion. I want to suggest it might not be where we think it might be. So you got a Bible, I'd open you, ask you to open it to John chapter 8, verse 31. We'll start there and we'll go through verse 59. And we're going to ask this question of the text, where do we find full freedom? Where do we find full freedom? We've been in the Gospel of John a while. John is somebody who traveled with Jesus in public ministry, and he saw stuff that was beyond explanation to him. And he said, I'm going to make a record of this that people in the future might believe. And so he recorded some, not all, but some of the things Jesus did. And and at the end, he said, I'm writing for this reason, that you might believe like I did, and in him you might have life by believing in his name. So so there's no, he's not pulling any punches here. Why did we do this? Why did I do this? It's that you would come to faith. And we compare John to a prosecuting attorney trying to convict Jesus of being guilty of being the Son of God, and he's presented evidence in the form of signs, and there's seven of them, and we've seen five. We've seen Jesus turn water into wine. We've seen him heal a nobleman's son. We saw him heal a man who'd been a paralytic 38 years. He got caught teaching out in the country, not a lot of stores around, no Uber Eats, and he had 20,000 people. He had five loaves and two fish, and he fed the crowd, and he walked on the water. And so, Jesus is putting forth that he is the Son of God, but he is meeting opposition in the form particularly of the Jewish leadership. He is a threat to their control. He is a threat to their power, and they stand in opposition to him. And and we're in the middle of that opposition as we pick up in verse 31. Jesus says, so uh, it says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. We wonder, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Here's uh, the core, what it means. You take God's word and you put it into practice. I take Jesus' word and I do it. I live it out. Jesus said, if you do that, you're truly my disciples. But there's a benefit from that. Uh, Verse 32 says, you will know the truth. And Jesus is the one who has revealed the truth of God. In God is full truth. And Jesus says, you will know that truth. And there's a byproduct of knowing that truth. That truth will make you free. See, now, United States, we sing the Star Spangled Banner and we see we're the land of the what? We're the land of the free, right? And, and I understand, I've been in traveled mission-wide where, where people don't have external freedoms and so we enjoy that and I, I thank God for that but that doesn't truly, those external freedoms don't truly make us free. We can be externally free and yet bound to having to have the newest iPhone or the the best vacation experience or, or the best restaurant. Or, uh, and though we're externally free, we're internally, we're, we're tied up. And Jesus said, I want to bring you a freedom internally that you can't have. 
So years ago, I was a leader of a mission team. There was a group of us over in Istanbul, Turkey. And uh, every Friday, we'd get together with the country director and uh, we'd just report on what was going on. And I remember this guy on uh, Friday, he was just kind of, well, how, how many did you have at this and how many did you have at that? And, and he says to me, are, are, you, are you getting your team out? You guys getting out there? Because usually we get more. Yeah, he, he starts laying this guilt trip on me. And, and I remember feeling... I thought I was doing pretty well, but apparently he said we're not, so it would take me a day to kind of work that through, and, and, and I remember getting back from that and processing this with a friend, and you know what he said to me? He said to me this. He said, Andy, why do you give that guy that kind of power? But that's where we go in bondage. Somebody's opinion of us locks us up. We're not free. If, if you, don't, you don't like this shirt, well, but man, then I, I feel, he said, that's the kind of freedom I want to bring. Well, as I mentioned, he's got um, opposition in the crowd, and that opposition speaks up, verse 33. They say, oh, we don't need you. Verse 33, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone now, Israel has lived as an occupied country for many of his years, and at this time of this writing, they were occupied by Rome. So they, again, they've got to be talking about internal freedom. We have this external thing, but we're, we're not enslaved. So they say it. How is it that you say? That's an ugly tone. How is it that you say you will become free? They're challenging him on that. Jesus says, verse 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Man, I can't wait to do that. And you Christians don't get to do that. And we think, oh, we're limited. No, 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 no. You're limited. Because you can't not do that. Remember shortly after I came to faith, I had a talk about, the guy who led me to the Lord about moral purity. And he said, you know, Andy, I can choose to look with lust on a woman, but most men can't not do it. They're the ones who are enslaved. We're the ones who have freedom. Remember, it was near the end of the semester that year, and, and we were eating in the cafeteria. It was uh, two guys' dorms, two girls' dorms, and there was a bunch of guys at the table, and we were right by people walk through, and in, in May, the shorts are really short in South Texas, and so the guys just start commenting. And I don't get involved. I don't, I don't pronounce the judgment of God on them. I just... And they notice, they go, oh, oh, Father Andrew, Father Andrew, they called me. You can't look. And I thought, no, 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 I didn't say anything. But I thought, internally, I thought, no, you can't not look. I can. I could choose, but I'm free not to. And Jesus says, sin, we think, oh, we get to do it. No, 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 it enslaves us. Anytime we look for freedom and fullness apart from God, it enslaves us. And until we get freedom from that, we're, we're enslaved. And Jesus talks about the slave. Verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So here's the conclusion. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus said freedom doesn't come from living in a certain place or getting this or that or, or being of a certain line or being of a certain heritage. Or, or No, it comes in me. See, remember, we started by asking the person, they're going through rehab, they've had knee replacement, and they, they've got limited range of motion, and, and we want to get full range of motion. We ask this question, where do we find full freedom? Here's what I'd say. 
We find full freedom in Jesus. We find full freedom in Jesus. And what his opponents want to argue is, no, no, we have freedom because we're of the right lineage. We're of Abraham's line. And that makes us free. And don't we think that if, if we get the right job or we're from the right family, we've got the right university, we get the right degree or we get the right iPhone or we get, I don't know, we'll be free. So when I was in the first grade, we moved to a well-to-do subdivision on the southeast side of Detroit. We had many of the auto executives living there. The Ford Estate was in our town of Gross Point and and so my dad coached my older brother's Little League baseball team, and one of the guys on the team said, Mr. McFarland, my grandmother's a millionaire. And this is 1968. A million bucks was a lot of money back then. Well, it's a lot of money now, but it's really a lot of money then. And we thought, no, that's crazy. So we took them home from practice one day, and they lived right on Lake St. Clair. And Gross Point was set right on Lake St. Clair. And it, from the time we talked, turned off Lake St. Clair up to their house, it was a quarter of a mile up their driveway. So we thought, this might, <laughs> this might have some legs to it. And then we found out his grandmother is Mrs. Dodge. So we thought, your grandmother is a millionaire. But you know what this kid thought up, grew up thinking? Money can do me anything. And it can get me out of anything. And right before we moved, my eighth grade year, we read in the paper that at 14 years old, he was busted on drugs. And I, I don't know what became of that. But you could tell he thought, because I'm of the Dodge family, I can do and get. And isn't that what we think? We get the right job. We get the right thing. We can be free. And Jesus is challenging that. He said, no, no, freedom's in me. So he's going to take that on, this whole thing, descendancy thing. He said, I know that you are, I'm in verse 37, that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father Therefore, you also do the things which you've heard from your father. Jesus said, you claim, I, I understand you're physically of Abraham, but you're not really of him. I, I do the things that my father does, but, but you're doing something else that says you're some, some other father. Ah, now he's got him on edge. Verse 39, the answer said to him, Abraham's our father. Jesus, Jesus said to them, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. Later in the book of Romans, Paul will write a letter and he says, not all who are physically Jews are true Jews. There's a spiritual component to that. And he'll talk about circumcision. It's not the outward circumcision of the male organ, but it's the circumcision of the heart. So Jesus is, is foreshadowing that, that because you're of Abraham doesn't mean you're necessarily his child. So it says in verse 39, Abraham's our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You're not following up like he's your dad. You're doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. So now they move, We're not, Abraham's not our father. Ultimately, God's our father. And through Abraham, we, we experience God. Verse 42, Jesus says, If God were not your father, you would love me, for I have proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own, but, my, but on my own initiative, but he sent me. So they, well, we're Abraham's child. No, you're not Abraham's child. Okay, God's our father. And Jesus goes, ah, ah. No, no, you're not Abraham's child, and you're not God's child. Whose child are you? Hmm? We'll get there. Hang on just a second. Verse 43. Jesus says, why do you not understand what I'm saying? It's because you cannot hear my word. 
Anybody have or had a callus? Ever had one of those on your foot? I mean, I've got some in my hands. What happens? You, you get friction in a certain area. And it builds an area that eventually is insensitive. You can't feel. Well, these guys have been rubbing against Jesus. Jesus has been calling them to believe in him. They built up a callus, and Jesus said, you, you can't feel. You can't hear my word. You've been resistant so long, I, I can't get through. Your heart is calloused. So Abraham's not your father. God's not your father. Who is their father? Well, we're going to find out here, verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. How about that? You thought you were a God-fearing person, line of Abraham, following God. No, 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 Jesus said, no, no, no. Your father is the devil. And there's a couple symptoms you've got in line, common with the devil. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. Here's the first symptom. He was a murderer from the beginning, and they will show themselves to be murderers. It does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar, the father of lies. So Jesus said, your father ain't God, it's not Abraham, it's the devil. And here's what you got in common with them. He's a murderer and a liar. How's that going to fly with these pious people who pride themselves in a polytheistic culture, being monotheist and being of the one true God? God says, no, Jesus says, no, you're a liar and you're a murderer. You show yourselves to be of the devil. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. You can't hear me because you're by nature a murderer and a liar. Now, my opinion here, I think Jesus says some really bold things in Scripture. I think what he's about to say in verse 46 is, the, my opinion, the boldest thing he does. Can, can you understand the tension of this conversation is ratcheted up? I'm offering freedom. No, you don't offer it. No, yeah. Our, our freedom's in Abraham. You, well, you're not of Abraham. Well, we're of God. No, you're not of God. You're of the devil. Okay, so that's basically the gist of the conversation. Now Jesus asks them this question, verse 46. Which one of you convicts me of sin? That's pretty bold. For people who are antagonistic, who you've made mad, who are your opponents, and you're going to say, hey, which one of you finds any sin among me? I wouldn't do that with my friends. My wife loves me, but if we said which, how much sin, I mean, see how much time you got. Talk to my kids. They, they've got quite a bit of, they got some issues. Then you can talk to people on my staff team. You know, I mean, these are my friends. These are people that love me. And they say, well, Andy, how much? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you. But no, Jesus is saying this among his enemies. Among people who just said, you're not of God, you're not of Abraham, you're of the devil. That's pretty bold. But the answer is silence, because they see his life backs up his talk. So he asks a question. If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He was of God, hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you're not of God. Okay, sometimes if you get in an argument of ideas and a person begins to lose the, 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 the logic of the argument, they'll resort to name-calling. You're an idiot. You're a fool. You're a liberal. You're a conservative. You're a, you're a, you're a, you're a. Okay, and this is where the Jews are going to go right now with Jesus. Verse 48. Here we go with the name calling. Uh, the Jews answered and said to him, 
do we not rightly say that you're a Samaritan? Now, that was a downgrade because Samaritans were half-breeds. It means one parent was a Gentile and one parent was a Jew. They know this isn't true. They can trace Jesus' genealogy. They knew his mama and his daddy. They were both Jews, but they're, they're into name-calling now. You're a Samaritan, and you have a demon. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my own glory. There's one who seeks and judges. Jesus says, I'm not living for myself. I'm doing exactly what the father tells me to do. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He's talking about eternal. He's talking about spiritual death, and they misunderstand him. Look at their response, verse 52. Now that we know that you have a demon. Again, we're going to name calling. Abraham died in the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. You're whacked, dude, is what they're saying. Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. Look, I'm telling you the truth. I'm a person of truth. I've come from the Father. But I do know him and keep his word. So you guys were asking about Abraham. Here's what I'd say. Verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Whoa, whoa, whoa. My day is, he's talking about his return. And somewhere back sometime, Jesus saw Abraham look forward and saw me coming back, and he rejoiced to see it. Who do you think you are? So the Jews said to him, you're not 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? So Abraham lived, I don't know, 1,500, 2,000 years before Jesus-ish. They're saying, Jesus, you you haven't been to 50. Jesus is probably 30, 33 at this time. They're saying, that guy died 1,500, 2,000 years ago, and you've seen him? I mean, you were really tripping. Who do you, uh, you say you've seen him? Jesus said to them, verse 58, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. That's a loaded statement. That's the statement God uses to identify himself. A thousand years before, Israel was in slavery and God sent Moses and he said, I want you to deliver my people. And Moses said, you know, they're not going to believe me. Who, who should I tell them sent me? And God said, tell them this, I am who I am sent you. And it's a statement of God's eternity. I've always been, I presently am, and I will always be. I am who I am. Jesus is picking up on that statement. And they're, they're incredulous. You haven't seen Abraham. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before Abraham was existent, came into existence, I am. I always was. Jesus is calling himself eternal. Once in a while, I'll get somebody who will call, and they, apparently they're going to straighten out the senior pastor, and, and they want to argue with me whether or not Jesus was the eternal son of God. So I've quickly learned to say, what's the point of this call? Are, are you calling to, to debate? Because if you're calling to debate, I'm not interested because I'm absolutely convinced it's on every page of the gospel. If you call it, you want information, we can talk it through, we can meet. What, what's your purpose? But it just, it's beyond question 
in my thinking. Any page in the four gospels, there's a reference, if not a direct statement, that Jesus is the Son of God, and the Jews understand that, because look what they do in verse 59. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You know why they picked up stones? Because that was the penalty for blasphemy. Now, it was supposed to go through a judicial process with multiple witnesses in a, a process. And this was a mob action. They're ready to throw stones, but it's, you know what? It's not Jesus' time, and so he, he goes out from among them. He won't die until God's appointed time. But make no mistake, the Jewish people understood he was claiming to be God. Remember, we started by asking this question. We'd, we don't want to live with, with limited mobility, right? We, we want full freedom. Here's my question. Who better to give us full freedom than the one who created life? Where else do you and I think we can get full freedom than the one who created life? See, deep down, we have a need for security, significance, or connection. So security means I've got to have a paycheck. So, man, I am stressed out at my job because they could fire me and, and, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in bondage to that. I go to bed worrying. Could they? But if we understand, no, Jesus meets my need for security and, and at this point he's using this job and he might use some other job, then, well, then, then, then we have freedom, don't we? If we understand our security is in this job, then, then we have limited mobility because if I don't have the job. And then we, we have a desire for connection, for intimacy. That's legitimate. Uh, God's given us direction for who we ought to pick and who we date and who we marry. But, but we think, boy, I, I, I need a spouse, and I need a spouse now. I need a spouse sooner than later. So we compromise on that, and, and then we end up in a, a conflicted marriage. We're, we're, we're in bondage. But full freedom comes when we say God will meet our need for intimacy. I mean, this applies to every area of our lives, even our hobbies. So, shortly before June, uh, January 1st, 1970, uh, my dad said, we're going to get a TV, we're going to rent a TV so you can watch the Rose Bowl. The University of Michigan was in the Rose Bowl, January 1st, 1970. On that day, I became a Michigan fan. For the last 50-some-odd years, I've been a Michigan fan. And you say, have you enjoyed it? Well, not that much, to be honest with you, because I'm always stressed they're going to lose. And I think, what will I do if, if, they, if they lose the game? Uh, this year, they won, won the national championship, and they got ahead 14-3, and all I could think of was, what if they blow a 14-3 lead, and they blow the championship? I, I'm not even free to enjoy my team. Well, that began to change shortly after I got married. Um, we were four months into marriage. Uh, the University of Colorado went up to play the University of Michigan. Michigan was ahead to the last play of the game. Colorado was on their own 36, and they throw a Hail Mary pass in the end zone, and it's caught. And all of Denver Boulder screams, and they're all happy except me. I am very sad because Michigan lost. So we're driving to church the next day, and I'm snippy, people. I am snippy. And my wife says, huh, you in a bad mood? Bad mood. 
yeah, really? Really, what are you in a bad mood about? You know, she says, oh, the game? The game? Is, that, is that the reason you're in a bad mood, the game? Yeah, the game. She says, oh, oh, oh. She says, you know, it's okay to be sad the day of the game, but the next day, it's not okay. If this is going to control our weekend, we're not going to watch any more Michigan football. <laughs> and then she says to me, Andy, do not entrust your emotional well-being to 18 to 22-year-olds who don't know you exist. <laughs> but we do that. We hand over our freedom to joy to something else. They don't know. And you guys that root for the Huskers, you were nodding your head because you've been there. And you cheese fans. You're going to be stressing next week. And you know what? They might win and they're going to move on. But Jesus said, whether it's a game or a marriage or a job or your security, I, I am the one who gives freedom. And to look any place else is to be enslaved by that place you're looking, by that job, that boyfriend, that team, that whatever it is, you're enslaved to it. And I have come to give you full range of motion. I have come to make you free. So recently, we got hit by a bunch of snow. And I don't know about you, but I saw a number of people who would go off. Sometimes they hit ice and they went in the ditch. And you know what? Their freedom was gone. They're stuck. And to, to press the accelerator would do them no good. It would only serve to bury them deeper in their lack of freedom. Do you know what they needed? They needed a bigger vehicle to come along and to hook up to their bumper or axle or whatever and pull them out. They needed something stronger to pull them to freedom. Okay, we are people that get stuck in this world. And we try and find there, and all we do when we do on our own and we step in the accelerator is we dig ourselves in deeper and we entrap ourselves even more. We need someone who's stronger to pull us out. That someone has come. His name's Jesus Christ. And if you'll allow him to hook up and follow him, he will show you freedom. He will show me freedom that we can't find anyplace else. Wouldn't it be sad to live in bondage when Jesus says, I've paid the price for you to be fully free. That we would take Jesus at his word. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, uh, we're grateful. Yeah, this is, was not a, a comfortable conversation. There were some people really mad and really offended. Uh, Jesus dared to say uh, that their father was the devil. But he did that, that they might consider Again, where they find freedom. And it's not in a family, it's not in a job, it's not in, it's, it's, it's in the eternal Son of God, the creator of life, the one who gives life, the one who restores life. Lord, that we would say, we know the Son, and because we know the Son, we are free indeed. You should know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Lord, we know the freedom you're offering. I pray that for us as a body, individually and corporately. I pray this in your name, amen. Thank you.